Let's pray. God, as we come this morning, we want to hunger and thirst for you. Your word, uh, your word tells us, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so this morning, some of us come like dry and parched land that need some rain, that need water desperately. And some of us come this morning wanting to be like that. And we pray, Lord, this morning that you would redirect our hearts from all of the other things that we fall in love with, that we look to to make us happy, to make us secure, to protect us and to defend us. And God, we pray this morning that you would renew us as we long for you. We pray, God, that the things that satisfy us today, that satisfy us in the coming weeks, would not be people, and they would not be money, and it wouldn't be success, and it wouldn't be comfort, but it would come that we would be satisfied only with knowing you and loving you and looking to your hand for every good thing that we have. God, we pray for those in our church this morning who are sick and who are struggling. We pray this morning for Roger as he's in the hospital. Still so many things that are wrong and so many unanswered questions. And God, I pray that you would be near to him and to Peggy and to their children and grandchildren this morning as they they wonder what you're doing and they wonder what's coming next. And you, we pray that you would give the, them great comfort this morning, that you would give the doctors wisdom. We know that Roger knows that it's better to be with Jesus, but that he has productive work in his Bible study and his work as a deacon and his work in, in, and with his family. So we know that he has good things regardless of whatever you put before him, but we I selfishly pray, Lord, that you would preserve his life, that you would restore his health so that he can continue to do the ministries that he uh, feels called to do and that he's gifted to do. We pray, Lord, that you would give uh, Peggy comfort this morning. When there's so many unanswered questions, I imagine it can be really easy to be anxious and to wonder and to worry. And so I pray, Lord, that you would give her a comfort as well. We pray for others in our church who are physically sick, like Dave, who have to stay away while they battle cancer. God, we, we praise you for good reports, but we do pray that you would continue to heal in his life and pray, Lord, that you, would, um, that you would show him how, like a seed in winter, you are doing things in him right now, even while he waits. God, we pray, I pray this morning for those who struggle this morning with despair and with depression, those who struggle with crippling anxiety, those who this morning come weighed down with guilt about why am I not better? Why can't I feel any different? God, I pray that this morning would be a, a morning of freedom, a morning of safety, a, mor a morning of healing. I pray that in the gospel that you would remind us that we are invited to come as we are, but dressed in the righteousness of Christ. And we get to worship with his record, not our own. God, we pray for Rooted Community Church and Jacob, their pastor, down in Lebanon. We pray, Lord, that you would prosper their ministry. The ministry in Lebanon goes back 200, over 200 years now, but their ministry is new, and we pray, Lord, that there would be much fruit for the harvest there. We pray for a good, gospel-loving, Jesus-loving church to be raised up and to love the community, to love the college students, to love the people who live there, and to be a, a a signpost towards the kingdom. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
last summer, as part of our vacation, we spent some time in Washington, D.C. seeing the sights. And a lot of the sites are the sites that you know, and there's a park there that's kind of filled with people and have a lot of people that spend their time there. And a couple of months after we were in that park, I read a news story about a thunderstorm that struck and a group of people took shelter under one of the large trees in that park and lightning struck the tree and killed like 10 or so people. I think a couple of people survived. And I remember reading that article and like picturing the scene. I'm like, yeah, we were in that park and there were people there. And I remember going, and who takes shelter under a tree in the middle of a thunderstorm? Well, a, a fast forward a couple months and I was telling Emma about, well, it was Thursday and I was visiting somebody and may have been seeing one of the deacons here in town. And I was like, uh, let me go for a walk. It's okay. It's not raining right now. And so I go... And I'm coming back home, and this happened about twice within a couple of months, and I'm like walking, and I'm just, you know, 50 feet from this catawba tree, the like green bean looking tree over here, and I, it would start raining, and I was like, well, I don't want to walk the rest of the way in the rain, so I would like stand up underneath this tree. And I told Emma, and she was like, hopefully you didn't take shelter under that tree, did you? And I was like, of course not. Who in their right mind would take shelter under a tree when you know you're not supposed to do that? But that, it's true. I actually did take shelter under that tree. I probably did tell her the truth. Yes, I, I was under there, but it was just briefly, you know, and I decided I could get, run for it and get the rest of the way to the church um, without getting too wet. But isn't that how we are in reality? We know there are some areas of our life where we know better, but we run and take shelter anyway. We know better than to think that money will protect us, and yet we put our hope in how much we have, or how much we have saved, or how much we have planned. We know better than to think that there is a person that can fulfill us like Jesus can, and yet we still think, if I could just fix my marriage, it's going to be okay. If I could just fix this relationship, we know better than to think that our value comes from our reputation. And yet we put the pressure on ourselves and on our kids to perform up to expectations so that other people think well of us and we are going to be okay. We know better than to try and find safety in those kinds of things. But here, if we're telling the truth on Sunday morning, whether it was this morning, this week, or this year, there are times where we go running for safety and protection and blessing to a, something that we know better than to think can protect us, can bless us, and can keep us safe. Today, we're in this series, Walking with Abraham, the pioneer of, our, of faith, who we're going to see Abraham confronted with that kind of story, where we go, where am I going to find protection and blessing? Where am I going to get the promises of God to come true in my life? So turn with me to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, we're going to pick up in verse 8, mainly because somebody once accused me of just showing off how I can pronounce names. I actually just sometimes make up the pronunciations of names, but verses 1 through 7 is a long list of names and city names, important and helpful to read for the context, but I'm going to pick up in verse 8. 
because this is where the action, up until this point, there has been a back and forth series of battles in the land of Canaan. Abraham has been promised this land, but he doesn't own any of it. And the thing about Canaan is it is like on a major highway between the land of the north and Egypt, which is the most powerful country in the world, down to the south. And so traders would go up and down this route, and it becomes a super valuable and important place to own and control. And so that's what verses 1 through 7 kind of lay out. They've been battling back and forth and getting freedom. And then we pick up in verse 8. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Siddim against Kedorlaomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, since he was living in Sodom. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Anar, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. After Abram returned from defeating Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheba. That is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, help me to speak your word clearly. Help us to see the only safe place, the only true king who offers us protection and blessing. And I pray that you would cause us to follow and walk with Abraham, trusting in the true and best king. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in this, this story, it can, we can get lost in the names that are unfamiliar, but this is four kings against five kings. And they, the, the, the one kings, they attack, they win, and the important detail is that they capture the city of Sodom and they take Abram's nephew with them. And so they capture Lot. And when Abram finds out, then Abram gets his whole household. This kind of gives us an indication of how rich he was. Is He had 318 men that were born in his house that could go into battle with him. We had already seen before that he was so rich and so wealthy and God had blessed him so much that he and Lot had to separate or because they would overwhelm the land with their riches, with their sheep and their herds and their families and their people. But Abram, it's a, kind of just a really short summary. Abram gets, gathers his household, gathers his trained men, and they go and they win the battle. 
This had been a battle that had been four kings against five kings, and Abram goes and wins it. But that's not the important detail, because that's what's so short. What happens next, as we saw it in verse 17, is that Abram returns, and then the king of Sodom comes out to meet him in the valley of Sheba. That is the king's valley. So Abram is coming back after winning this major battle against all of these kings, And the king of Sodom comes out, and then verse 18 says, Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, also brings out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. Salem is the city that will one day be renamed Jerusalem. You can kind of hear Salem in, in that name. And so, so he is the king in Jerusalem, and it's, but he's not just like any of the other Canaanite kings. This is a God-fearing, God-worshipping priest king. And so the real crisis in this story is that Abraham is being met by two kings. One is the king of Sodom that Genesis has already told us is a city filled with wickedness. And one is the king of a city that is where the king himself is a priest who worships God. Melchizedek, his name comes from the word for king and righteousness. And Salem is a word for peace. And so, so Abram is being met by the king of a wicked city and a and by the king of righteousness in the city of peace. And so the question is, what is Abram going to do? That's where we pick up in verse 19. Melchizedek has brought out bread and wine, and he, he he blesses Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Abram's response. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will not be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who were with me, to Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. So here at this point in the story, Abram is confronted with the king of a wicked city and by the king of righteousness in the city of peace, who one of them comes and says, blessed be you God of, from God most high, and the other one says, give me my people. Keep everything else for yourself. One of them is like one of them is fulfilling the promise of God that those who bless you will be blessed, Melchizedek. And the other one is coming and saying, you know what? I just want my people back. Just keep the everything else. This kind of disparaging, dismissive response of the king of Sodom to Abraham. And so the question is, what is Abraham going to do? Abraham here decides to tithe to the king of of Jerusalem, the king of peace, Melchizedek, saying, affirming what his blessing, and actually in that tithe, submitting himself to the king there of Salem. But then when he's offered riches, he says, I do not even want the riches of an evil city. I don't want to be, I don't want to be responsible to you. I do not want to be under your leadership. I don't want you to have any rights over me. Because Abraham realizes here in this that 
if you notice the way that Melchizedek speaks and then the way that Abraham speaks, is that Melchizedek and Abraham recognize that the only true king in the story is the Lord. The only true king in this story is the Lord. And so Sodom, uh, the king of Sodom is an imposter coming and pretending his leadership and pretending to bless and pretending. And Abraham and Melchizedek said, no, no, we are going to worship the Lord. We are going to seek blessing from the Lord. We are going to, and Abraham says, I am going to reject an imposter king like the king of Sodom who comes offering riches Offering us his leadership, but it's an imposter. This passage is going to call you and I to seek the Lord alone as king for safety and blessing. We live lives where we're tempted to seek money and accomplishments and reputation. We're, we are, we're tempted to think that our, uh, that our leadership, that our, maybe our group of people will make us safe and make us blessed. We are tempted to think that if we fix every detail of our lives, that we will be blessed. And Abraham says, no. There is one king who is the source of blessing. And, we, and Abraham calls to you and I and says, seek the Lord alone. What I want to do is I want to show you from these verses three ways that we seek the Lord for safety and blessing. Three ways that we seek the Lord for safety and blessing. First, understand the choice that we face here. These two kings come to us. One of them, Melchizedek, I told you earlier, his name means king of righteousness. He's in the city of peace, comes and says and brings blessing for Abraham. The other is the king of a wicked city that is going to face judgment in the coming chapters. He is coming and saying, hey, I will make you rich. Just give me the people. We have to understand the choice that we face is ultimately not even just between the king of righteousness in the city of peace and the king of an evil city. It's this understanding that what Melchizedek says and what Abraham says is God most high creator of heaven and earth. It's repeated twice in these verses. That that if God most high is the creator of everything, then that means, maybe your translation actually says, the possessor of everything. If the God Most High made everything, that means he owns everything. And he owns us. And he is the one that is the rightful king in this land. Not somebody who holds a leadership position in the city. It's the one who made the city is the one who should be the king here. The one who made us is the one that should be king over us. He is the one that is the source of blessing. And so we have to understand that we can seek the promise in somebody that offers us. They offer us leadership, they offer us safety, they offer us money, they offer us, this is the way to blessing, go this way. But there is a choice here. Will we choose to follow the king of Sodom or will we follow God most high, possessor, creator of heaven and earth? You see, that's ultimately the the choice that Satan brings to, to Eve in the garden, to Adam and Eve in the garden. That's the choice that he brings and says, did God really say, you will not And then when she says yes and modified what God said, he said, you will not surely die. We have a choice. Are we going to listen to what God said or are we going to listen to what Satan says and comes and says, oh, there's actually a different way. You will be like God if you go this way. Just like the king of Sodom, Satan comes to us and says, God is holding out from you. Don't listen to him. Follow me and listen to me. I will lead you to blessing. 
You and I are faced with this, the choice, and have to understand that in our, in our hearts, we're faced with the choice to say, is, who is going to be the king? Who am I going to seek blessing? Is it going to be my feelings? Is it going to be what my strategy? Is it going to be what the people around me think? Is it going to be in the things that I own? Or is it going to be in the God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you? Are we, going to, are we going to live under the leadership with the choice we are going to follow? Or are we going to listen to the whispers of Satan who says, it's really not that bad. Go this way. It's okay. The second step in seeking the Lord for safety and blessing from this passage is identify the Lord as your king. Because, because notice... Melchizedek, in verse 18, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. This, this is, the, this is the, the name of God. Elohim, we see it, in, especially in the book of Genesis. The names of God become really important. He says he was the priest of God Most High. He blesses Abram, blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator, possessor of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High who delivered your hands and enemies into your hands. But notice what Abram says when he turns to the king of Sodom. He says, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. Abraham connects the relationship name of God, Yahweh, with the, the sovereign name of God over the universe, Elohim. He puts, this is the first time in Abraham's story that he puts these two names together. And it's incredibly important because this is where Abram is saying, I'm not just choosing Melchizedek, I'm choosing the Lord God, King of all the earth. He is going to be the one who is my king. He is going to be the one. And he identifies that Melchizedek and his worship of God is the, the way. But the, Abraham says, it's not Melchizedek who's my king. It's the God most high. He will be my Lord. He puts these two names, Yahweh and Elohim, together saying, God is my king. That is Abraham's choice in this moment. is where he realizes, I am rich and I'm blessed and maybe I could get some more land. Maybe I could get some more influence. Maybe I could get some of that stuff. But Abraham says, you know what? The king of Sodom is not going to be the source of my blessing. The, the things that I can see and a person that I can touch is not going to be the source of my blessing because God himself is Lord in my life. And that's the choice that you and I face. Is who is going to be our king? Who is going to be our Lord moment by moment? In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it's in a, a section of Scripture that talks about what, how we go through suffering, specifically how we deal with slander and unjust treatment. And what I find so amazing in the verses is that Peter says that the remedy for fear and difficulty in suffering, verse 15 says, but in your hearts revere Christ Jesus as Lord. He realizes that when we suffer, the, issue, the biggest issue that our hearts are dealing with is, is God going to be my king in the middle of this, in this dark place where I don't know my way out? When I'm tempted to follow another king who says that I can make this easier for you, Peter says that when you are suffering, in your hearts reveal Christ Jesus as Lord because that is going to be the way that is going to be the way through this to responding, it in the, responding to it in the way that God has called us to. Because ultimately, our, the issue that you and I have day by day is when we try to figure out where will I seek a source of blessing? Whether we're suffering, 
whether we're being persecuted, whether we're being slandered, whether we're being lied about, whatever that issue is, 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 is God going to be my Lord here in this today? Am I going to say, God, I don't know what the results of this are, but instead of grabbing onto the results, I'm going to worship you as Lord and let you handle that. I'm going to let you be the source of blessing in this. This, it, this becomes the question for you and I at our work. When work gets really hard and we're asked to do unethical, maybe you're asked to do unethical things. You're asked to do unfair things. You don't know, how do I follow Jesus in the middle of this situation without sinning myself? Because I want to sin in my way of responding to this. This passage says that we are called to identify the Lord as our king, not results as our king. When, as parents, when we try to, are trying to raise and discipline our kids in the Lord, it can be really tempting to latch on to their results. Are you obeying me in the way that I've told you to obey me in this moment? And then we begin to sin to get the results that we want. And God says, no, identify me as king in your life. You follow me and do what I have called you to do. Even if your kids or your husband or your wife or your boss does not follow me. You're not responsible for them. Will you seek me as your king and as the source of blessing? Which leads us to the third way to seek the Lord for safety and blessing from this passage. The third way in this passage is then resist the imposters. Resist the imposters. You see, the king of Sodom came to Abram first, but he's the one who spoke last. The, the, the king of Sodom of this evil city is the one who comes. But then after Melchizedek has spoken, he says, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. This, sir, this seems like the king of Sodom is going to be a king of blessing. Right? If somebody comes and says, here's all the money. Here, you keep it. It's, he is an imposter king who wants to be the source of blessing in Abram's life, but he leads an evil city, and he's going to lead, he would lead Abram away from following the Lord. And so Abram says, no, I'm going to reject your authority, and I'm going to reject your way. You will not be my king. You're not going to be my provider. You're not going to be the one that blesses me. I will take nothing if that's what it takes, because I want the Lord's blessing, not temporary blessings that you can give me. You see, Abram is willing to wait on the Lord. Abram is willing to wait on the Lord and say, there is one blessing that I seek. There is one place that I will go for blessing in my life. And it's not going to be in riches, and it's not going to be in a, a temporary king who promises to protect me. It's not going to be in a relationship that promises to provide for me. It's not going to be in my reputation. Abram says, I am not going to follow the king of Sodom. I am going to follow Jesus. You see, I think that what we see in Abram's life is that it's not just that he's seeking the right blessing, but it's the way and the place that he seeks it that's so important. You see, we can adopt God's goal, but then end up using a totally different method and say, oh, I'll just go over here and get this righteousness that God promises. Well, I, I want to be righteous. I'm just going to do it in my own way and in my own time. On Wednesday nights, we've been studying through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And one of the things that I was struck by so much in Saul's life is not Saul's goal, but it's his method. It's not that he was like, no, I'm not going to sacrifice to God. He would say, no, I'm going to sacrifice to God on my schedule. 
It's, it wasn't that Saul was just like, no, I want nothing to do with the promises of God. It was, no, I'm going to be the source of blessing. I'm going to do what God has called me to do in my own way and in my own time. And Saul ended up being an imposter of God's Messiah. He looked right on the outside. He won victories on the outside. But because he was unwilling to wait on God's method and God's way, he was an imposter setting himself up as God's king. So this passage calls you and I to resist the imposters and in our parenting, seek right, whether if you have young children or adult children, seek the righteousness of God in God's timing and in God's way. If you have relationships, whether it's a romantic relationship, a dating relationship, um, whether you're, you're married, whether you want to be married, or just relate, dealing with your family members and friends. It is tempting to try to manage our relationships, thinking that we're doing God's work, but we're unwilling to do it in God's way. We're unwilling to see him as the source of every blessing in our lives, and we take our own control, which is really worshiping and serving an imposter king. And how in the world will we find blessing in our families while we're willing to serve and worship and be blessed by an imposter. As we look at uh, Manchester, Scott County, our communities, Illinois, United States, it is tempting for us to try and say, we want to see the righteousness of God come, but we end up doing it not in God's way, and not with God's man. We're unwilling to worship and serve God in His way, and instead we seek to see the kingdom of God come with unrighteous people in unrighteous means because it's our time schedule. And this passage says, no, do not worship and serve imposters. Do not follow them. Do not let them have dominion over you. So this passage calls to you and I and says, seek the Lord alone as your king. Seek blessing in the Lord alone. But some of us, Seek safety and security and blessing in other places. Maybe you hear this sermon and you say, oh yes, this week I'm going to seek the Lord, blessing in the Christ. I am going to see God as my king. But then this week you find that you have sought blessing in control, in money, in reputation, in pleasure. And so where is the good news for us who find ourselves not like Abram, more like Saul, and say, who can save me? I think the secret to understanding like where the good news in this passage for us is, is that Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the king and priest in the order of Melchizedek. It's the only other place in the Bible that I remember that, that talks about Melchizedek. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus is king and priest in the order of Melchizedek, but he's better. You see, Melchizedek was the king of righteousness in the, in the city of peace. But he was human and sinful like you and I, offering animals as sacrifices to God. But Jesus, the greater Melchizedek, is the righteous king of peace who, instead of taking tithes, comes and gives himself for us. Instead of standing back and saying, come and worship, instead he gives us his righteous record, unlike Melchizedek who could not give Abram a righteousness. So the good news for you is that Jesus, who always lived to do the Father's will, who sought blessing in the Father, never doing his own will, 
but suffered in your place and mine. That is the one who deserved, he is the one who deserved safety and yet went to the cross for you and I. So this week, when you realize that you have sought safety and blessing somewhere else again, go to Christ, the greater Melchizedek, and accept his righteous record. Accept his blessing and safety that he earned for you. You see, he is greater than Melchizedek, not only in his perfection, but instead of blessing flowing to him, blessing flows from him. So this passage says, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus as your king, greater than the king of Sodom, greater than the king Melchizedek. He is far better than anything you can imagine. And he is a source of blessing and safety for everybody who will come to him. So maybe you're here today and you realize I have never come to Jesus because I wasn't sure he wanted me. Let today be the day that you drop all of those wanderings and come to Jesus. Trust Jesus who says, don't come bringing me anything. Come to me and accept from me everything. Accept welcome and safety and blessing. Accept from me a life that flows from me, not just to me. So if that's you today, let today be the day that you accept Jesus as your King, as your Lord, as your Savior, by repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus only to save you. If you're going, hey, how do I know for sure? How do I do that? What does it mean to repent of sin, trust in Jesus, and follow him as my Lord? Come and grab me. Grab me when we're singing. You can grab me in the hallway. Let today be the day that you stop seeking safety and blessing in people, in money, and in pleasure. And you come and seek it in Jesus alone. So this passage, whether you knew or old, calls us to seek the Lord alone as king and realize that this will be a, a, a constant question in our hearts is who will be my king? Is it going to be Jesus or is it going to be the king of Sodom who promises everything? I want you to imagine with me what changes. What changes when the Lord alone is your king? When you are faced with choices about, okay, in my home... Safety and blessing does not come from my plans or my control or me getting my way, but it comes from Jesus alone. Then you end up realizing that safety and blessing in your home is independent of anybody else. It doesn't depend on them. It depends on Him. Imagine, that, that sounds like a home of safety as we begin to say, oh, I do not need anybody else to be my source of safety. Imagine what happens in our church when the source of blessing that we seek is in a person, not in a program, not in a strategy, not in getting our way, but in a person, and we long for that king. Imagine what happens in our community when the people in our community get to hear the good news of the gospel, that blessing flows from Jesus not from righteous living of our own. Imagine when people whose homes are broken and who deal with this, may, the same kind or maybe even worse, anxiety and depression and despair. Imagine what happens in the life of people who wonder, is there anybody out there who cares about me because I feel forgotten and alone and left to the side? Imagine what happens when our community gets to hear the good news that the God of the universe has set his heart on them and who loves them and wants to be a source of safety and blessing in their life. Imagine what happens in our state 
when instead of seeking blessing in substances, in experiences, or in money, our state is transformed with the reality that the one source of safety and blessing is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you, the king of all the earth, want to be our king. And you were willing to go to the cross so that we could be included in safety and blessing. Our sin would no longer be held against us. It would no longer be divided, dividing us from you. God, I do pray for Manchester and our communities and for our state that it would become it would become a good news kind of place as people are transformed with the reality that Jesus is the only true king and the only true source of safety and blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.